You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. If you would go to Luke chapter 4 tonight, and while you're there... We're going to do a little bit of moving around tonight. Not going to say sorry for that, though. Want to, I want to start with something, though, here tonight. It was uh, the, I, don't, I haven't started this way before, but at the back of the uh, section for this week, If you, if you had a chance, and I hope you did, to go through your study this week, you've, you've noticed that it's not been a, an easy topic necessarily as we talk about rejection, uh, specifically when others reject the message of salvation and hope that we have. You know, uh, it's, it's hard when we see that happen, and I think the hard part of it is, well, part of it, I think the hard part is that we, we know that we have the truth of God's Word, and we're trying to share that truth of God's Word. We want others to be saved, especially if they're friends and family members, co-workers, people that we love and care for. But even those, if we go out on a mission trip or, or we go to a place that maybe or we're in a situation where we can witness to a person that we may not even know. You know, you're in the grocery line and you just feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to just say something to that cashier. Or you're at a restaurant and you just you feel that, that leading of the Holy Spirit to just say something to your waiter, your waitress, whatever the case may be, and just to share something, uh, no matter how big or how small that is, to share something, and, and, but then to feel somehow that uh, that person has rejected the message, they've blown, uh, blown you off or whatever, they've just put it aside. And it, it hurts, it doesn't feel good when those things happen, it's especially difficult, and I know it too from, from family, uh, but it's especially hard uh, sometimes when it's your own family. Uh, and I don't know, of course, everyone's individual family situation. Some of you may have a family situation where all of your siblings are saved or your children, your grandchildren, whatever the case may be. Uh, they've been in church and they're saved. And some of you may have relatives that you know are not saved and you have a desire to see them get saved. And that, that situation is individual for each person in here. Uh, and it's very hard whenever we go through those things. It's in, but at the same time, it's a little bit encouraging when we go back to this section here and see that even Jesus was rejected by his own uh, family, his own town, his own people. Even he had, an op- had a moment where he was rejected. His message and the truth of who he was was rejected and questioned. And as we get into the study, we'll look more at that. But I want to just kind of start a little bit different way here in 2 Corinthians. And I'll just read it out of the book here. Uh, in the back, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. 
And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will share in the comfort. So in the times of rejection, in the times where it gets hard, we have comfort from God. And oftentimes we have to go through things uh, in our lives so that we can go and give that same comfort to someone else who is going through a similar situation later on. So I'll just ask this as kind of a warm-up here tonight, uh, remembering that we go through things sometimes, and maybe you've already experienced this in your life, maybe multiple times, but what kind of things could you say to a person that's experiencing some kind of rejection? What are some things that maybe you could say or some things that maybe you've helped and find a comfort in knowing uh, when you've had these times in your life? Okay. Right. Right. That's good. Definitely. Even though you rejected it, that means it was all sweet. Right. You never know how a little thing that you say can just spark someone's thinking. And they may reject you initially, but you never know down the road what okay. How could a group or a church support and strengthen Christians across the world who face rejection and persecution? Are there ways that we could do that? Pray for them, for sure. It's a reality that's out there. We don't, we don't often think about it, I think, you know. Um, and I don't want to say that we don't experience persecution in America, but I certainly want to keep it in perspective, right? <laughs> okay, because no one is attacking us physically yet as far as at gunpoint or whatever else. We hear about these horrible stories from other places, but certainly there is a level of effort to keep Christ out of the public forum in America, but certainly we're not in the same. So I... I I would, I would say it's a little bit of persecution, but keep it in perspective here. But how could we, uh, we can pray for them, strengthen them. I tell you th- something that makes you more aware of how much it's going on. Anyone ever heard of the voice of the martyrs? Okay, good. Some of you have. It's, it's a good, it's, a, it's an organization. It was started by uh, Richard Wurmbrand, and that was that movie that was out there recently um, where it was his life story of being imprisoned. Uh, by the Communist Party for being a Christian. But anyway, um, it is, a, it is an, uh, an organization that alerts other Christians to what's going on in other parts of the world. So they're aware, too, of what's going on. And I think it helps us in a lot of ways to understand and realize there's a lot more of it going on out there than we sometimes realize. Um, I think if you go to their website, you find out there's actually been more Christian persecution uh, since... Uh, the 20th century, and of course I know it's the 21st century now, of course, but then there had been in the previous several centuries before that. So a lot more is going on than we think. 
But just remembering, getting back to the main point here, when, when we're rejected, when we uh, find, find areas in our life that um, are hard for us, we go through those sometimes as we read in Second Corinthians there so that we can be an encouragement to others who go through similar situations, who have similar times, and we can uh, better uh, empathize with people and we can come alongside them and God prepares us for different things in our lives so that as we come alongside someone going through a similar situation, we can help encourage them and strengthen them as believers as well. So just some things there as well. There's encouragement to be found, even though tonight's message is talking about Jesus being rejected and about how often in our lives we are rejected as well for sharing the message of Christ, that there is comfort and there is hope in that, knowing that God is working for a greater purpose in our life and even for the life of the, other per- of the others around us. So keeping that in mind this week as we go through tonight. Last week was about the Samaritan woman, and again, just a, a, it was a powerful message even for me just to, to go through and look at because so many things that we gain perspective from, from the Samaritan woman. We saw just in those, in those few uh, verses there, chapter 4 of John, Jesus is always on mission, and he's always in tune to the needs that are around him. Remember, because when we started reading in John chapter 4, that phrase that I brought to your mind right there that was in the King James, I like it that way, it says, he must needs go through Samaria, okay? He had a mission, he knew it, he was on mission, and he was uh, constantly in tune with the Holy Spirit. He knew what he had to do, and he focused on those ministry needs that he had to have. And our ways, in our life, we need to also, in our lives, be in tune with the Holy Spirit, because you never know when that prompting will come. You're standing in the grocery line, like I said, or you're at the table and the waiter comes, the waitress comes. You just never know in that prompting. And so you need to be ready as Jesus was ready. He had to go through Samaria. Okay? He took the gospel of those that were outcasts of society. Remember that the Samaritans were outcasts of society because they had a racial difference. Okay? They weren't 100% Jewish. They were mixed. And they were rejected by the rest of the Jews. And we talked about how the Jewish people would either get on a boat and go on the ocean to Galilee, because Galilee was here, Samaria is in the middle, and Judea is in the, in the bottom, and that's where Jerusalem is, okay? So they either get on a boat and go up around that way, or they'd cross the Jordan River and go on land back into Galilee, because they hated the Samaritans so badly they didn't even want to walk through the country, but Jesus had to go through that country. So there's a racial difference. There's a social difference. They didn't have the same social standing. They were outcasts because even though they were partially Jewish, Um, they were not allowed to come to the temple. So that was a social outcast thing for that group, for that time period. Okay, Uh, They're not allowed to come and worship at the temple in Jerusalem. There's a religious difference. They were not worshiping the true God. They were not worshiping uh, what they should have been worshiping. They had mixed in some false religion, and they had their own mount. You know, the the woman at the well tried to... um, distract Jesus by asking him, hey, are we supposed to worship at this mountain? Are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem? Where are we supposed to go? You know, And Jesus kept the target focus on her heart and the real problem that was there by telling her that real worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus used things which are familiar to the people. In both cases, we saw that. When he was there with the Samaritan woman, he used water and the well. That's where he was right away. And then later when the disciples came up and were like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> What did he do? He used the uh, evidence of the harvest as his example. He said, hey, the harvest is coming, but guess what? The harvest is ready now. 
the harvest is right now. And of course, he's talking about the spiritual harvest. So Jesus used things that are familiar to those people so that he could convey the gospel message, which is something completely unknown. And, you know, we're living in a society in a day and age now where, where, so, where people outside are so far removed from a church culture versus where it was 20, 30, 50, whatever years ago that now we have to be, as Jesus, we have to find ways to relate the gospel to where they are because they don't have the same church background that some people have. Some people that are here are like me and can say, I was raised in church and I've been in church my whole life. I know the lingo, I know the speech, I know how to... But you know, some people have never been in a church. And that's becoming more and more and more often. And so we have to, as Jesus did, find ways to relate the gospel message to them where they are. So Jesus did those things. Uh, Like the Samaritan woman now. We saw three things about Jesus here. Like the Samaritan woman now, people today are trying to fill their lives with earthly water. She was coming up there that day. She was an outcast Uh, from the Jewish people, from the Jewish religion. She was outcast from her own people. That's why she was drawing water in the middle of the day instead of early in the morning when the rest of the women would have come. And so uh, she's there to fill her earthly pot with earthly water. She's going to have to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And Jesus related that and said, listen, it's the same way in our spiritual life. If we're not filling our lives up with the right thing spiritually, which is Jesus Christ, the hope and salvation of the world, if we're not filling our lives up with that, we're going to go and find all these empty, broken water pots and try to fill our lives with relationships or with drugs or with this or with that or whatever, money and status and social standing. We're going to try to fill our lives with all these things that are not going to satisfy, and we're going to keep going back. And Jesus said, no, come to me. I'm the living water. You'll never thirst again. Only Jesus can satisfy. The Samaritan woman uh, progressed through the stages. We saw in verse 9 of, of John that she said, okay, you know what? You're a Jew. And then a couple verses later in verse 19, she said, okay, you're a prophet. Verse 29, she says, you're the Messiah. And by verse 39 of John chapter 4, she was going out and telling the people of the village to come up to the well and see Jesus for herself. And that's the way that we understand, too. We progress through stages of understanding. And hopefully, at the end of it, we become like the Samaritan woman in the sense that we go and tell and bring people to the living water, as she did. Like the Samaritan woman, what did she do? As soon as she recognized who Jesus was, she left her water pot and she went because she knew she didn't need that water pot anymore as far as the application spiritually. She didn't need it anymore because she had Jesus. And immediately she went down and told everyone else and brought them. And many more people were saved because she went out and told the witness. And that's what we do in our lives as well. We exalt Jesus for who he is, and we go and tell others about our salvation that we have through Jesus Christ so that others can come and be saved as well. Now we're coming in in Luke chapter 4, different kind of message tonight, rejection. Not an easy message. Um, and we have, those, we have that pain, and, and, and Jesus has that pa- understands the pain of rejection in the way that we do as well. So he, he knows those things. He knows those things. He's, he is a high priest that knows the things that we have gone through because he has also gone through them. So I want to look tonight there in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, if you'll join me there. I'm going to read verses 14. 
through 22 to begin with, and then we're going to kind of look at some things here from Luke tonight. It says in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. There went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So we're going to see immediately some rejection. Now I want to just take a minute here and, and examine something that, that's not really brought out in the, in the study guide in the book. I want you to look back now. Just turn back to, to, to Luke chapter 3. Okay? Just turn back to Luke chapter 3. And I want to start looking in verse number 21. And it said this, verse number 21 of Luke chapter 3, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying the heavens, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee am I well pleased. Now, the next couple of verses in Luke chapter 3 are the genealogy, which is important. It really is important. We're not going to read it though. Go over to Luke chapter 4. Again, verse number 1 this time. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he, after, he afterward hungered. Now, we're not going to read the rest of that for now, uh, but we're going to go right to verse 13 of Luke chapter 4. It says, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. He was victorious, okay? Now look at verse 14 again. In light of those two things I just read, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And here it is, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Now, this wasn't necessarily brought out in the book, but I want to kind of look at it for just a minute here. Because this happens to us sometimes too. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, okay? And he is there, and we have this beautiful picture of the Trinity. We have Jesus Christ standing there who's been baptized. We have the voice of God speaking from heaven. And we have the Holy Spirit descending uh, like as a dove uh, in Jesus. So we see all three parts of the Trinity together. And that's very important because God is demonstrating that that's who he is. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one Trinity. And all of it is there at one time. That's, that, to me, is an amazing moment. Now, just think about the excitement of that. Think about some of the most exciting moments that you've had in your life. Big things, maybe the, the birth of a child, the birth of a grandchild, uh, uh, something exciting, something big that happened in your life that just made you just thrilled beyond belief. Okay? That's an exciting moment. 
Now look, Jesus goes out in the wilderness and he's hungry. He's being tempted, but he's victorious. He does not succumb to temptation and the devil leaves him. And now he's, so he's got another thing, another thing here that has given him excitement. Okay, remember he's, he's 100% man too. So he's got this excitement. He's got this joy. Okay, and then he goes in and there's fame and there's, uh, being glorified of all. He's teaching. He's having a good time. And all of a sudden, look at verse 16 again. And he came to Nazareth. There's the wall. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Exciting things happen. Maybe somebody you know got saved, and you're just on what we call sometimes a spiritual high. You understand I'm going to say that when I say that, Right? And you're excited about what God has done in your life or the life of someone you love. And you turn the corner, and it's like, boom. That's the pain of rejection. So Jesus has this same thing going on here. He's had all these victories. He's had all these things. And all of a sudden, turn the corner, boom. Now, now he's got rejection. Notice also who was the ones rejecting him. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. Understand this, okay? This probably would have been a time where a lot of people would not necessarily have traveled. We all can kind of relate to this in here, and and you all more even than me, okay? Because everybody around here is kin, right? And I mean that in a respectful way, okay, right? Everyone, your friends, your family, you know each other, you've grown up together, you've gone to high school together, some of you, you know each other, right? Okay? And, and, and it's, this is Nazareth. This is a small town, okay? This is the same way for them. They know each other. They went to high school together. They're related to each other. They're just like, and, and, and these are the people that say, you know what, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're crazy. These are the people that are rejecting him. His neighbors, his friends, the people that he grew up with, the people that saw him every day. And everywhere he went, when he went to the synagogue that day, he met rejection from the people that should have been the most loving to him, that should have been the most accepting. He went to the synagogue on the, verse number 16 says, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. I like what it says there. I'm just going to bring this out real quick and we'll move on. As was his custom in verse 16. As his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It's important that we have that habit of going to church on the days when we have church. It's important to be a part of that. Jesus read that day from Isaiah 61. Do, do, go ahead and turn there, please. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Let's, let's turn and read that just for the parallel sake of it because Jesus didn't stand up that day and read Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, okay? Jesus read from Isaiah. It says this in Isaiah 61, verse number 1, The Spirit of the Lord, and you'll, you'll hear the similarities, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now notice in verse number 2, he stopped. See, in, in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, at least in my uh, copy, it says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, period. And when you go back to Isaiah, it says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, comma. 
Jesus on purpose did not go on past that comma, or what we would call a comma. I don't know what they would have called it in Hebrew. I haven't done that class yet. But he said, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, going on in Isaiah now, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Now, the day of vengeance of our God has not happened yet. That's what we read about in Revelation. When we get to that book and we read all the things that go on in Revelation, that's that. Okay? We haven't got there yet. We're living in the comma. So we are supposed to be proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord as well. When we go out and we witness, and we go out as a church by, that's what we're doing right now. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. The same thing. We're living in the comma, okay? And that's what he stood up to read that day. And he didn't read all the scripture that day. He didn't read all the passage that day because he didn't come the first time for the day of the Lord. He didn't come for the first time for judgment and vengeance. He came for this to proclaim these things, to proclaim that redemption has come, that salvation has come. He came to proclaim that he is there to, yes, meet those physical needs of the people as we see multiple times in the gospel message how he healed people. But he healed people from the most important thing that you can be healed from, the spiritual blindness, the spiritual brokenhearted, the spiritual crippledness. He came to meet, yes, physical needs, but he came to meet the most important ones, spiritual needs. Now notice too as we get into this, okay, because as Jesus is going to fulfill the physical needs of those, he's also fulfilling the spiritual needs at the same time. It's the reason why we do missions the way that we do it sometimes. We go to send dresses to Moldova. We pack OCC boxes. Uh, we send backpacks to Appalachia. You know, By the way, that's how you say it, right, Appalachia? Okay, it's not Appalachia or whatever. I can say that because that's where I'm from, y'all. Here's the deal, though. You ready? When we meet a physical need, it often will do what? What does it do in the life of that person? Okay. All right. And that's what Jesus is doing here as well. It kind of sets up a model for us here as well. A door is often open to share the gospel with someone when we are able to go out and meet a physical need of a person as well. Showing that you care for a person, showing that you have love and compassion for that person. How do people understand the love and compassion of Jesus Christ the Savior unless you demonstrate that love? That's what love has to be demonstrated, right? It doesn't matter what kind of love it is. Okay, a husband and a wife could say to each other their whole life, I love you, I love you. But if they never demonstrate that love, how do you know? It's the same way with any, I mean, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, whatever. If you don't show love to people and demonstrate it to them, they don't know that you really love them. They know you say it, but they don't know that you actually do. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. So here's the first question here. I know I've asked a bunch already, but how does redemption lead us to meet physical and temporal needs of people around us? How does redemption in our life lead us to meet the physical and temporal needs of people around us? Share our blessings. Share our blessings. Okay, that's good. Change of heart, okay. So then the second question comes up, why is it problematic for Christians to focus only, ooh, 
643. I'm not even past point one yet. Why is it probably, y'all don't mind though, do you? Why is it problematic for Christians to focus only on spiritual problems and fail to meet physical needs? Why could that be problematic? Okay. All right, good. Well, let's, let's, let's speed ahead here. Thank you. That's a good answer, though. Okay, so, okay, and this is where we're going to kind of overlap a little bit. The announcement is rejected. Look at verse 22 again, back in Luke chapter 4. I'll read Luke 22, 23, a couple verses here. On all that bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when a great famine throughout the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Zarephath, a city of Sidon, and to a woman that was a widow, excuse me. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of, this is Elisha, uh, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Now this is some big stuff here, okay? Because here's basically what's happening. We're going to kind of go through two points kind of together really quickly. The people rejected Jesus' claim. He said, I'm the Messiah. That's what he was saying. This day the scriptures fulfilled in your ears. He said, I'm the Messiah. He made the announcement. And what happened is the people in his hometown started remembering that little boy that used to run around the streets. Now, listen, I'm not going to try to say that Jesus was some kind of troublemaker or anything like that, you know, because he was a perfect, sinless man. And he had to be perfect and sinless when he was a boy, too, in other words, to be perfectly sinless, okay? You understand what I'm saying here, okay? But that's what they picture in their mind, though. They picture the little boy running around. I picture maybe Jesus helping out in the carpenter shop. Joseph was a carpenter, right? Perhaps he learned how to build things, as any son would, right? He learned how to use his hands. He learned how to work with the tools that were there. He learned how to make the things that they would have made in the carpenter shop in those days. Maybe that's what they were thinking about. They were thinking about that, that young boy or that young man that maybe delivered something to their house that was made by Joseph or made by him and Joseph or made by whoever, you know? I mean, I don't know. This is just... But that's what they were thinking of. They did not separate and realize the uniqueness and specialness of who Jesus is. And to kind of wrap that part up a little bit quickly, we see the same thing today, do we not? How many of you ever seen a TV show, a magazine, and it's like History Channel and other things like that where they try to reduce the uniqueness of who Jesus is down to a man, right? Oh, he's a good teacher, and he's a good person to live our life by, and, you know, we can learn a lot from Jesus, but that's about where it stops, right? They don't go all the way and say he is the Son of God, the Eternal One. They just stop it short, and they try to make Jesus kind of on the same level as everybody else, right? They take away the unique qualities and specialness of who Jesus is. And we see that a lot today, and that's what people here were doing as well. They were bringing him right back down to the same level. And so we go ahead. 
Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've, they've reduced it, yep, just to a normal man. So they have that spiritual blindness in their eyes. And others do as well, uh, you know, and, and the same thing, the same goal. Some TV shows, some magazines are more blatant and blasphemous than others, but all have the same goal, just rejection of Jesus and reducing him back down. So a face rejection, the people's unbelief. I want to draw your attention to something really quickly here. So Matthew chapter 13, if you'll turn there, please. Matthew chapter 13 kind of gives us a little bit more insight into this particular event, as well as Mark chapter 6. So if you want to hold your place in Luke, we'll go to Matthew chapter 13, verse number 53, beginning there. Kind of a parallel passage. It says, It came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. When he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, and here's the same thing, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Here it is. Is not this the carpenter's son? And they ask a further question here. Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath all these men these things? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. Now, verse 58 is the key. And he did not many mighty works there because of what? Their unbelief, no faith, whatever your translation says, right. I won't read Mark chapter 6 because of time's sake, but it's the, same, it's the same thing. It's kind of a parallel passage to those in Luke and the one in Matthew we just read. But each time, and we get a little bit more insight into this event from Matthew and Mark, each time that you read those passages and those other two Gospels, we see the same thing. They had a lack of faith, and it kept Jesus from being able to demonstrate his power there. Now, see, it was not Jesus that had no power. It was not Jesus that couldn't do those things. The people had no faith because what they looked at and what they had in their mind did not match up. And that's where we have to remember that that's what's going on in people's minds today. When they see Jesus and they hear about a Christian witness of who Jesus is, in their mind it's not matching up. Saying, well, you know, Jesus is a prophet, he's a good man, he's a teacher, he's this, that, or other. And we know that Jesus is the Son of God, the resurrected Savior. But to them it's not matching up. So Jesus gave up and left. Well, no. Jesus continued his mission. Jesus continued his mission. Now, look, and this is important here, okay? Back in Luke. Once he recognized their unbelief, he goes on to compare their rejection of him to the rejection in the Old Testament when the people of Israel rejected God and the prophets had problems. So he put himself on the same level as the prophets, he put the people of Israel and the people of Nazareth the same level. And he reminded them that throughout all those years when Elijah was ministering, only one widow was blessed, the widow Zarephath. And during all the time that Elijah, the Samaritan, or Syrian, excuse me, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. And those are found in the Old Testament passages. We won't take time to read those right now either. 
But both instances include Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, who received grace and deliverance when the Jews did not because of their rejection. And so when Jesus announced the plan of salvation, he announced that also the plan of salvation would be able to come to the Gentiles one day. That in the future, and in the short future from this point, because it was later in the book of Acts we read about it, that the Gentiles would receive the blessing of being able to know who Jesus is and being able to accept him as their Savior and to hear the gospel message and to have the blessing that uh, the Jews rejected. Now, God promised that to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And that is the reason why there are genealogies in the Bible sometimes, because as you go back through in Luke, which we didn't read it, and the other one in Matthew, chapter 1, it goes to Abraham. And even though Jesus, Heavenly Father, through Joseph and through Mary both, their family lines went back to Abraham. So God fulfilled his promise to Abraham by sending the Messiah through that line. And we see the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. We see the fulfillment of the promise that the Gentiles would receive salvation as well in Acts chapter 10. I do want to turn there. I know what time it is, but I do want to turn there. So please go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 9. This is Peter, and he's having this vision. Okay, he's up on the roof. On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open, a certain vessel descending unto him, as had been a great sheet knit at the four, four corners, let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common, done three times and taken back up. And then knock at the door. And there's some people down there who say, hey, Peter, you got to come with us. There's a guy named Cornelius, and he wants to hear about the gospel. He was a Roman centurion. He was a Gentile. Throughout the rest of the story here, that's what Peter does. Now look over in 34 and 35 of Acts chapter 10. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Salvation came of the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. But the promise to Abraham was fulfilled when Jesus Christ announced that salvation would be going out to all, including the Gentiles. And that's us. Unless someone here is Jewish and I don't know about it. So Jesus faced rejection. Let's go on now, back in Luke chapter 4, verse number 28. And we'll finish out here in the last few minutes here. Luke number 28. And they all went to the synagogue, and when they were, uh, and they all, and all they in the synagogue, excuse me, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill wherein their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But passing, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. There's a comma right there, verse 31, just one verse, and came down to Capernaum, city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath 
days. I wanted to finish that thought in verse 31 because this is what happened. Jesus was rejected by his own townspeople, but it doesn't say that he just, well, went off and found something else to do with his life. He continued, and he went to Capernaum, and he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he taught them. And it's important for us to understand that because when we face times of rejection, and we will, when we face those times as this, we get up, we go on, and we continue the mission of sharing Christ. We don't stop because we face rejection. Jesus didn't stop because he faced rejection. He went on. The people wanted to stone him. It wasn't the right time for Jesus to die. And it certainly was not the right way for Jesus to die. And I'll tell you why. What does it say in the scripture? Cursed is he that hangs on a tree. Jesus had to die on a cross. He had to die on a cross. Because he had to take the curse of sin for us. So being stoned, being cast down headlong on a hill is not going to be the way. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right way. This rejection was predicted. Isaiah 53.3, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Ultimately, people reject him because of the heart problem. They're rejecting him in their hearts. And it's the same way today. Here it is in John 3.19. We read this not, not just a couple of weeks ago. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Their deeds were evil. They don't want to come to the light. They don't want to come to Jesus because they don't want to have the heart condition exposed. Jesus told us that we'd face times of rejection in Matthew chapter 5, also in John chapter 15, that we would face these times of rejection. We'd face hard times. We'd be discouraged in the work. As Jesus did, we don't give up, we don't put it aside, we don't say, well, you know what? Jesus went on with his ministry, went into the next city, the next town, and on the Sabbath day went in and taught. So we don't find our success when we're out witnessing, when we're out sharing the gospel. We need to be careful not to find our success in numbers. Because something that's exciting and new and fresh can draw a lot of people, but it may not have any real spiritual quality to it. We don't find our success in numbers. We don't find our success in, in, you know, amazing financial standing. We don't find our success in things that the world says are successful. We find our success when we get up and we go on with the mission and we see that person saved, even if it's just that one person. And that's what Jesus was looking to, faithfulness in God. This is what faithfulness to God is, and I'll, be, I'll finish with this, okay? Abiding in Christ, John chapter 15, abiding in in Christ. Are we abiding in Christ the way that he, that he said, he's the vine, we are the branches, looking for all of our spiritual nourishment from him? Are we guided by God's word every day? Are we submitting to the Holy Spirit, following God? As we follow God, we face opposition and rejection. This is evidence, though, that we're truly following God. We talked about that in our first and second Peter studies that we did back in the, in the winter. When we come up against opposition, it's a good indicator that we're doing what God wants us to do. Because the devil does not want the work to go forward. But we do what Jesus did in verse 31. We get up, we go on, we share the gospel of Christ, continue with the mission. Because our endurance, 
our continued steadfastness is a greater testimony of God and his power in our life than if we just quit and give up and put it aside. Any questions or comments tonight as we close?